0: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: The Telegraph.
0: Podcasts.
2: Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Arsenal are your FA Cup 2020 champions after a mildly thrilling 2-1 victory in front of 90,000 empty seats at Wembley Stadium. Will this be the making of Mikel Arteta and his team? Can they hang on to Aubameyang? And why Frank Lampard choosing to build from the front explains some of Chelsea's problems in defence. We'll reflect on the departure of Eddie Howe from Bournemouth, where we foresee looming clouds in the not too distant future, preview the Championship playoff final, and take a look around the burgeoning summer transfer market. Plus, the Champions League, its half brother Europa, goings on from Syria and the clumsiest football moments ever. Let's take you now into a series of remote audio recording facilities where I'm joined. First of all, by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm
0: good. How are you? Yeah, you don't, you don't start with me regularly. No, you have got
2: to mix it up. I I reckon if you went back through all the episodes, I've rotated the person I come to first pretty evenly. Do you agree with that, Matt Law?
3: I do agree. I'm never sure. I'm, I'm you keep me on my toes when you start the intros. I like it Ex-
2: exactly. <laughs> you, exactly. You want to be alert, ready to hear your name, and ready to say something funny. JJ Ball, fulfill your destiny.
1: Yes, <laughs> and also. Uh, Another thing I noticed that you do is that when one of my not talked a well, you ask us the next question to make sure everyone is involved. <laughs>
2: this yeah, is what, that
3: is true. This
2: is what hosting is all about, JJ. yes, I've yes. Got, I've, I'm forever marking it off as a series of five bar gates and making sure everyone gets an equal opportunity to talk. But let's talk first of all about the FA Cup final and whoever out of you can answer this. Um, Chelsea on top, to begin with, it seemed like it had all the makings of a gutless thrashing for Arsenal. But they got control of the game. Do you think they deserve to win it in the end?
1: I think they did, yeah. Um, and Lampard kind of summed it up. He thinks his players uh, were a little bit complacent during the game. But they. Like, I've written an analysis of this game this morning. Uh, that I haven't watched it. From The entire game changes during the first water break. When Arteta gets the players all around him and just starts being he's very animated and he's slapping his hand into his other hand and like you must do this do this and all he did was change was make sure that uh rather than pass sideways always looking for the short ball they're going for the long option and it's something he's been doing from the very start since he came into arsenal there's a, there's a training session where you can see he's explaining what pass he wants he wants like um, to hit the furthest man forward and then move from there rather than playing it always like progressing it through lines slowly because it takes too long and as soon as they went back onto the pitch, Kieran Tierney was the last to go back on. He was getting, he's double-checking everything with Arteta. You could see him asking, what, is that, what do you want here and there? First thing Tierney does is hurl the ball up the line from the throw-in. Um, Tierney then plays a series of long balls over the tops. Not long balls that makes it sound like it's a bad pass, but they're just utilised in the space. Because before they were told to knock the ball long over the top towards Lacazette and Aubameyang, uh, Chelsea's wing-backs were pushed really high up and they were pressing them close. So uh, like Rob Holding would always hit it short to Behrin and then Behrin have to make a little pass inside and Chelsea moved up, kind of pincered them and won the ball back again and again and again. As soon as they started knocking it long, the wing backs couldn't push up as high because there was too much space behind them to come back and Arsenal were able to get into it that way. And I mean, the goals, one was a penalty, obviously, that as Perlete got caught the wrong side of him, that can happen. And the second goal was a result of Rudiger um, rushing out and missing his tackle in Behrin, which then put Christensen in a little bit of bother. He dived into a tackle which he didn't win. I think Zuma might have won that had he been the central defender, but Zuma wasn't the central defender because Azpilicueta got off injured. A lot of things went wrong for Lampard. Now, he didn't get anything wrong. But um, yeah, I think the way Arteta drilled into his players, what he must have been coaching them on all week before this game, is what won in the game, and they were decent.
2: Did he not did you- fail to respond slightly to that change in tactics? Mina, when when Arsenal did go longer, did Lampard? Do you think did he did he? read that well enough and and did he did he fail to cope with that
0: i think he failed to cope with that but i think there's also i think on a defensive level this isn't a team that's really i mean we've already noticed all the mistakes that they've made at the bank and it seems to be you know it was a simple a sort of ball on top they did try to adjust in the second half um but then the space became in front of them rather than behind you know where alice uh Quetta was, um, you know, as in those spaces in the corners, just became a little bit more in front of them. Um, and there were just wide gaps, a lot from Lampard's team. But I do think, I'm, I'm just a big believer in psychology. And sometimes I do think that, you know, your team can come back and, and, and notice problems or whatever it is you can address that and, and you can come back bigger and better but I think what happened is, is it's like exactly after that drinks break things just started going wrong with Chelsea and this is also a problem that you'll get with youth a lot of the times is that their head will drop Um, you know they eventually like everything started going wrong they lost their leader then they lost Kovacic to a red card um, to a well a second yellow card and I think then it becomes sometimes really hard to pick yourself up especially when the different Fence on a lot of the times, is on one on ones. Um, I did have an issue with Zuma in his defending, in the sense that I thought that Rio Ferdinand just came across that so well. There is an issue when it comes to pivoting sometimes when you watch the Premier League. I, I feel like a lot of the players there, are, are they. It, it's not that easy to just pivot. So the positioning is always that difficult to change and a lot of them get caught flat-footed. You see that quite a lot. And I thought that that was... And when Rio Ferdinand spoke about it with Zuma, I was like, oh my God, that's just exactly what it is. Um, But yeah, that's, that's it.
2: Yeah, Zuma certainly did let him pass fairly easily for that admittedly brilliant goal... Arteta afterwards seemed fairly confident that Aubameyang will stay at Arsenal. Do you think he will, Matt?
3: Um, I think he probably will. I'm not actually... This sounds mad. I'm not actually sure there's a move out there for him at the moment. Um, A year or so ago, and in very different times, there probably was quite a few options out there, but I'm not convinced there's the move that would tempt Aubameyang to, to necessarily give up what he's got at Arsenal. I mean, he's captain he's clearly the the sort of the, the star man i think as long as they pay him what he wants he he probably will stay now on the bounce things and you know six months ago i'd have thought he was definitely going to leave i mean funny enough i thought for a while that man city should sign him i mean you you get no comeback value on him whatsoever you, you're signing him probably you're paying 30 odd million in his wages for for two or three years and you're never going to get any money back but Given Aguero's getting older and injury problems and, and what I'd guarantee young years, I'd go out and get him if I was City. Um, but I think he'll probably stay now, yeah.
0: Because he just has that know-how, right? Like, just how he, how he, like, gets on the floor, just how he uses his body. He's got, like, there's that intelligence that you've got over your players. And I just feel like for a team like City, that would be so useful um, for them to have, you know, somebody going forward. I know that, you know, that's not exactly maybe what they're looking for. But he, I I, I don't know. I think you give him something
3: different. I think like it would be a really good option for them. And he yeah, is they just they to count. guarantee you. He's an absolute guarantee of Space. goals as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. pace and, and, and like all, exactly that. I don't know why sometimes I feel like they go for same-same, whereas I really think that he would add another flavour and would be so useful against especially certain opponents.
2: Yeah, let's not harsh Arsenal's buzz too much. A wonderful day for, for them as a club. Big moment in the career of Mikel Arteta and potentially feels like a big moment for this group of players. It's not the first time Arsenal won the cup in recent history and they've failed to kick on a little bit in the past. Could this be the time when they finally do take one of these FA Cup wins and really build from it?
3: I think they've got the right manager to which they haven't for a while. I mean in the in the latter days of Wenger he was winning the FA Cup a lot but it was clear that things had just got so sort of toxic with the fans and everything that he was never going to at that stage uh, lead them forward and then obviously since him they they've gone through a couple of managers i think they've got the right manager i'm i'm still reluctant to say this is going to be the start of amazing things for for arsenal just because if they had if you were confident they had the finances to do what arteta probably wants to do in the summer i'd be extremely optimistic for them but i'm not confident they they're going to spend the money i'm just not confident that the ownership will will give him what he needs and therefore it's it's difficult to know it's it's going to be really interesting as to how, how heavily they back him, because you get the feeling, were he to be backed, that he he looks like he knows the direction to take that team and squad and that he would get them really making a lot of progress. But I, I just don't, I'm not confident they will.
2: What well, about on the Chelsea side? The problem for them all year seems to have been fairly clear. It's at the back, and yet that's not the area they seem to be strengthening in the transfer market. Is there a sense sometimes that managers can change defenders, that you can coach a good defence out of what you've already got, but you can't really do that with attacking players. You've got to strengthen those areas and get the good players while they're available. Is there the makings of a decent defence at Chelsea or do they need to sign some players?
3: It's funny, isn't it? Because traditionally we, we've we been used to the top teams traditionally of, of almost building from the back. Um, you know, Arsenal, George Graham did it. To a certain extent, Man United did it under Furkey. It used to be that you'd say, oh, you you have to build from the back, you have to get your goalkeeper, you have to get your defenders, and then you can have around that. Lampard actually has made a good point in the last few weeks in that City and Liverpool did it the other way around, and it looks like he's doing it the other way around. I don't really know why. I don't know why the trend has changed, um, and whether it's just to do with how we like to watch our football now. But he he made the point in the first year that, that City under Guardiola... Um, conceded an awful lot of goals and hadn't got their defence anywhere near right and and obviously Klopp at Liverpool it took a few years till they got Van Dijk so he seems to be going that route he seems to want to get the get his style and philosophy enforced through doing it through the attacking players and then trying to work out the defence afterwards it seems to be back to front to me but. Well,
1: the, I think the idea is that you um, you defend by keeping the ball as far away from your own goal as possible. And Lampard seems really attacking and he wants his players to press quite high. They play such a high line and they often leave just one player on his own on the halfway line in centre circle. It's the kind of thing you, you don't really see on TV, but when you watch them live, um, so many players go forward. Often Kovacic is the, the deepest and the centre backs push forward to like a midfield position. And I think. By having a really strong attack, it means that other teams have to play in a different way against them. So if if you're really scared of um, how good Chelsea are going forward, you're naturally going to probably sit deeper back, which means that Chelsea are going to have more possession and they've got the players to be able to do that. Um, The thing with if your centre backs make mistakes, if you're planning on getting the strongest centre backs you can, then maybe the, the problem you've got is that they're having to react to situations and um, certain centre backs will be better than others in those situations. But that can be something that you can coach the team as a unit. You should defend as a unit, not as individual players. So even though like Zuma got turned by Aubameyang in that, that one instance, I mean, he might develop into a, a great defender, Zuma. Like, I think he I think he's decent now already. I think Rudiger is a good defender on his own. I think Azpilicueta has been one of the best defenders in the league this season. And these players are not poor, but the, the individuals that you can sign to improve defense cost so much. And Chelsea definitely already needed to stack their, their forward line to become more potent going forward, especially like Matt's saying, to do with how Lampard wants to play. Like if they're exciting going forward and attacking, it changes how the opposition approach to them and also means that they can defend by continually attacking.
0: Sorry, I know that I I sort of like went on about Zuma and being fat footed, Um, but I I do not, yeah, exactly. I think he is a very good defender. And I think, obviously, Aspiliqueta is too. But what I think that they do lack at the back, again, is somebody who just speaks up. I do think that they need somebody who is, you know, who's going to shout, who's going to yell. A lot of the times, if you see, like, back, if we look in Europe, for example, Real Madrid always had, you know, a gung ho attack. And a lot of the time, what they would have is someone like Fabio Cannavaro at the back obviously Sergio Ramos, and they would communicate. So they'd say, Marcelo, you know, you go ahead, you could have the time of your life on that, on that left wing, and you you know push up as far as you like but when I yell you better get back into place as soon as possible and they could afford that because they had really young pacey fullbacks and that's what Chelsea want they they have a young team so you need to have somebody who has the authority at the back to take control I think a lot of the time I don't think there's enough communication going on there I always think that it's not about buying the best defenders but about having a good sort of midfield and a good defense if you see the way that Arsenal um, conceded that goal against Pulisic what were the Midfield exactly doing. Sometimes you'll see that with with I don't know with Juventus who attack so well. It's not because Bonucci and Kalini are so great. A lot of the time it was because Hadira would drop back into the into the fullback roles, or Matuidi will cover the left back. Manzukic sometimes would drop back and become a left back. It's about covering spaces a lot of the time. But if you are playing a very gung ho style of football, then it's important that your your centre backs are good on the one on one situations. Um, I personally think so. But also just having somebody there at the back who knows how to yell and communicate and everyone's willing to to, to follow that.
3: That's a great point because it's been really noticeable in the, um, in the games with no fans of how quiet Chelsea are. They're really, really quiet. Quetta talks up a little bit. Um, Kepa actually, when Kepa plays, shouts a lot in Spanish. But generally, they're virtually silent. They're so, honestly, they're so quiet. Against every team I've seen them play since the restart, when I've seen them live, they've been quieter than their opposition, much quieter.
2: Type of um, JT 2.0, isn't it?
3: They've, they've got to get someone. I mean, it, obviously football's changed a bit since then, but they need someone to direct them a bit. They really need someone to... And I thought that was, that was lacking on Saturday because you can say that Lampard didn't respond, but he actually needed a a response from his players on the pitch, and particularly with Aspilicueta, who's probably the only outfield player who, who does shout a bit, they'd have been, they'd have been silent on that pitch on, on Saturday.
1: I'd say Aspilicueta is probably their only nasty player as well. Like, they'd have a lot of nice players. Like, even like, like Canty yeah. who wins the ball is really, is really nice. He doesn't go in hard. Yeah. He, he goes and wins the ball. But Aspilicueta regularly kicks people, and I think you need a few... They don't have any left.
3: cynical players, do they? Yeah. They don't have any cynical, Chelsea used to have loads of.
2: Yeah, once again, they need JT back. <laughs> what, um, we need to mention the refereeing as well. Uh, Chelsea will feel very hard done by about a couple of decisions. Which was, uh, which was the worst of the, uh, of the refereeing flashpoints for you in this game? The, the second
3: point, yellow. The Kovacic <laughs> second yellow, yeah, clearly. JJ put out a great tweet on the, on the day with um, one of the still pitchers where um, Zaka's foot seemed to be on Kovacic's rather than the other way around. I well, mean, that's the, the original Mofis tweet, to be clear. <laughs> oh, was it? Sorry. Well, you yeah. retweeted it, and that's all that yeah, matters. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> the referee <laughs> has, has been dreadful this season. I mean, but VAR, how do you VAR has been. That? Like,
0: are you going to make them look at every year? Hard?
3: No, well, no. I mean, I do wonder whether part of it is the fact that they've become so emasculated by VAR and their responsibility has been taken away so much and they're so terrified of of what might happen and it's affected the standard refereeing but it's been atrocious i mean i, I was i was watching the championship a lot last season because villa were in it and the standard referee in the championship is woeful it's like watching sunday league refereeing and i really looked forward to a better standard of refereeing when villa got up and it's not been there it's been the worst refereeing i've seen in ages and i'm not one i'm honestly not one for hammering refs usually i usually get frustrated with
2: managers who hammer refs, but i just think it's been useless have you ever felt this is a good time for refereeing well, I'm I've, I've not. I'm not. I.
3: But the, the the flip side to that is that, honestly, and you probably won't believe me, I'm, I so rarely talk about refereeing. I, I just ignore refereeing usually. I'm I'm not that sympathetic to, to teams who moan about it or get bad decisions. But I just think this season it's been dreadful. There's been so many crap decisions.
2: Yeah, I do think I do think VAR is. I do think VAR has spooked some of the officials. Um, and uh, it's one of the many reasons why it's a scourge on our game. Let's leave the FA Cup final behind and talk about the departure of Eddie Howe from Bournemouth, left by mutual consent over the weekend. A little bit of a shock, just because he's one of those managers you can't really imagine not being in that job. But was this a good time for Bournemouth and Eddie Howe to go their separate ways, Mina?
0: I don't know if if anything's ever a good time, but I, I just feel like this is somewhat of an end of a journey because you know it is a relegation I think that for him it was a shock um you could see throughout the whole season he just never imagined this was even a possibility and I just feel like it's very hard to continue when you've dealt with a a year of complete shock that you really thought you were building towards something um I'll be honest I love Eddie Howe and, and I think that what he has done is is incredibly amazing um and I just feel like it's a huge loss for them for Bournemouth as a club I think that because he is not just really the coach they were a, a team in deciding everything. They were a team about even deciding when we should really go for promotion um, at the time to the Premier League, you know. Are we, are we at the right stage? Should we do this? And you had a leader there who would be like, well, actually, I'd prefer if we have this in place um, so that we don't fall back down again. And it was just somebody who really, you always trusted he loved the club and you always trusted him to make all the decisions. And he did, he made all the decisions. Whoever they take on afterwards now, as long as he's some, he's not going to be someone probably who's, you know, come and lived and done everything with the club from a very young age and had so much fan support that he's almost guaranteed his position. So it's going to be really tough for them to find somebody who shares that love um, for the club. And I don't even know if that's what they're looking for. But I think with him, despite how everyone, you know, and, and I am a fan, I do feel like with Bournemouth, though, it was a club that conceded so many goals every year. Um, they were regularly the third or fourth worst team when it came to conceding goals, which always applied so much pressure to that front line. Eventually, the fairy tale was going to sort of fall apart unless you you had the world's greatest attack, basically. Um, I, I feel like some teams can get away with it, obviously, like Manchester City not always having the world's greatest defence because they do have the world's greatest attack, basically but I just feel like that that was always going to stop. And he never really found a solution for it. And that's perhaps why I haven't always been so glowing in my reviews of Eddie Howe and his journey at Bournemouth.
3: So I, I I've got an alternative view on Bournemouth and Eddie Howe. It's neatly forgotten that they had to pay a fine for breaking financial fair play. Um, in the year the They got promoted to the premier league. They, every single promotion year, they had the highest wage bill in their division. Um, you know, he did a good job, but he did it. He did it with money. He did it with a lot of money, and now the club's in an absolutely terrible, terrible state. Their last set of accounts, their wage bill was one hundred and ten point nine million. Their wage to turnover ratio, which everybody accepts, um, should be at the highest, around sixty six percent. Otherwise, you're in trouble. It's eighty four point six percent.
0: Is it really eighty four
3: point six percent? Um, eighty four point six percent. They're in 84. massive wow. problem. Wow. Sorry, yeah, it's just that we, you
0: never go over
3: 68. <laughs> the club's player registration costs were up from 55 million to 94. They had a loss of 32.4 million. They st- still owe, and this is what they owe on transfers from not last summer, the summer before, point mil- £80.1 million pounds in unpaid transfer fees. So Ake going for 40 million has covered half of what they owed for two summers ago. They're in all kinds of problems. He's spent all the money and left. Whatever good job, he's done a really good job on lots of aspects. He's clearly a very yeah, but he's good he's not
0: coach. the only one holding the cheque. There's other people who have obviously allowed him no. to... No, to...
3: but there's, there's terrible mismanagement at Bournemouth that people just ignore. Um, they have an office in Mayfair. Why do they have an office in Mayfair? It must cost yeah. them a bomb.
0: Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> I know about that. I, mean, I didn't it, know
3: that. That's it, great. It, it's absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy, the spending that's gone on there. And they're in trouble. They're in big trouble. And I'll tell you what their their next appointment will be is cheap because Eddie Howe is on over four million a year. Their, but what, about their next what about him? Well, him. I mean, he will. He he needs a break. He definitely needs a break. And I'm sure he'll get a good job afterwards. And he should get a good job. He's a good coach. But the the next club he goes to needs to um, manage him differently from how Bournemouth have managed him. Because people talk about the Harry Redknapps and the, of this world of about putting clubs in trouble on the spending, but you know, it's not that much different to what's gone on at Bournemouth. They've spent way beyond their means.
2: Yeah, we'll keep a close eye on them in the Championship. It does strike me as one of those where they might um, fall through that league fairly quickly. Alas, flew too close to the sun. Let's talk about the transfer window. We spoke a bit about Bournemouth uh, sold Nathan Ake to City for forty-one million. That seems like quite good business all round to me. It's a it's a decent price for um, a good centre back
1: they wanted a a left-footed centre-back they've got the port so if the port can't play they can put him in john stones is a uh, i think being repurposed for to use as something else i don't know what they're going to do with him make him like a, a human table around the place but Ake now <laughs> mascot yeah something like that he could be the mascot that'd be good fun i'd like to do that uh aki a decent player i think one of the I, I agree with Mina with a lot of the stuff she says about uh, Man City here and the defending. I think they could do with someone who um, likes to header the ball and uh, is just maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know what the word is, just bigger. <laughs> just a <laughs> bigger <laughs> lad. They need a bigger lad at the back. Um Obviously, they have all the possession most in almost every single game they have. So it makes sense they have players who can play with the ball. And Ake is really good at passing it. And he likes to carry the ball. You can play left-back. you can play centre-back. Suits exactly what Guardiola wants to do with him. But uh, I I would imagine that they won't be finished there. The, the, the rumour is that they want, they want Koulibaly from Napoli as well, who would be that kind of that powerhouse at the back that can add a bit of steel there.
3: Yeah, I, th- I think Ake is a really smart sign. And, I mean, he... he if you think that's half of what man united paid for harry maguire mm. and he's definitely not half he's different type of defender but he's definitely not half the player harry maguire is as jj pointed out he can play left back he can play in the back three he can play defensive midfield yeah um yeah. he counts as homegrown in europe because of uh, coming through the chelsea youth system because they brought him over from holland for so long i think it look even if he's not a first team regular i think at 40 million he's a steal Yes, he's, he he's
0: still, but I'm really squad. worried that they are going to just start shoving him into lots of different places. Because I think for his own personal progression, you know, consistency in a place is always much better than just having three or four different roles that you keep being put into. I don't know why, I just feel like players like that always end up being sort of a 7 out of 10 in a lot of things, but maybe not a 10 out of 10. And I think that he can eventually be like a really great player if he has a secure role and he plays with a little bit of consistency. But I never, what I never get with them is that I do think that on this occasion, they do sort of need an older guy at the back. Just, I, I, I just, you know, like that was what sort of company bought, right? Not the fact that he's old, but... Just that kind of, you know, somebody that you look up to. And I and I would have liked them to have gone for that, which would have been even cheaper. I do think Nathan Ake is a great deal for them, don't get me wrong. I don't think it should be Koulibaly, weirdly enough. Koulibaly is somebody who needs a very good partner alongside him as well. A lot of good defenders in this world that everyone points to need good partners. And he's one of them. And so I don't know who exactly is in... in you know Manchester City that sort of possesses the sort of calm that he needs alongside him because they bought him Manolas from Roma and it just didn't work out because Manolas is one of those like you know tackle slide yeah you know like really going for it all the time um, and I feel like he needs more like of an albiol kind of guy before which is when he did his best work because then he could be that guy um, but I, I do think that I would prefer them to go for, I don't know just like a cheap older head just somebody who sort of tells them what to do if that makes sense
1: just found out I'm older than Vincent Company, which has kind of oh, no. bummed me out. <laughs> yeah,
0: That's
2: depressing. Yeah.
0: In well, my head,
1: he's definitely older than me because he's much cooler <laughs> and more professional. I don't know. Oh, well. There mm. we yeah. go.
2: Still, we're looking forward to your move into management in Belgium there, JJ. Yes. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens at Newcastle United. Takeover seemingly dead in the water there now. Are they going to spend any money at
3: all? It'll depend. If Mike Ashley... If there isn't another takeover, then no they won't they'll spend barely any money because Mike Ashley's not going to spend a load of money just before he's trying to sell the club. It doesn't make any sense to um, and he didn't spend a lot of money before when when they weren't so close to a takeover. so I think they're very reliant on a takeover to to spend I mean they'll spend some money I, I, you know they'll have some money coming in from from staying up in a, a decent season, but they're not going to spend any serious money and if if they don't have a takeover. I can see them being in trouble next season because for for the job that Steve Bruce did, which was great, whenever I watched them, they were regularly the worst team I saw. Um and they they won or drew games that I don't know how they won or drew. I really don't. I mean the one at Everton where they were two nil down and dead in the water and Bruce brings on a centre back and he managed to score twice. I mean some crazy stuff happened and I I do think Bruce did a ridiculously good job, but I also think they got lucky too. And I think Bruce will know that, and I think he'll be worried because if they can't add significantly, I think they'll be really, really close to the drop next season.
1: Well, our friend uh, XG says that that's exactly the case in Newcastle. They were they got well, they finish on uh, forty four points, but um, if you, I mean expected points, it doesn't necessarily mean exactly what they should have had. I mean, just because they're Expected points is thirty one point nine two. No, it doesn't mean they would have got thirty two points, but the underlying stats in Newcastle suggest that they should have been way lower down the table, and actually should probably been bottom. <laughs> so uh, it's yeah, it's not um, it's not ideal. But thing is that they do like having players like um, Saint Maximin. Like now he's started to realise that passing the ball is an option. They they've got uh, they they have players that can make a bit of a difference, but they rely uh, on the counter attack a lot. And things go in their way, but when that doesn't work out for them, they will exactly what Matt's saying. They'll be in real trouble, and it, yeah, it's uh, it's quite difficult. And underlying stats are tend to level out over a couple of seasons, two or three seasons. So there's,
0: yeah. there's a lot of talk about like this particular like uh, group that wanted to purchase, to buy them, basically. And them going might make it really difficult. And But it doesn't matter because there's loads of millionaires who all want to invest in football and they'll find another buyer. I don't know if they'll find another buyer who was willing to spend the kind of money that that group was willing to spend. And that's what I think because a lot. There's obviously a lot of billionaires in the world more than there should be. And a lot of them want to make even more money. And that's why they invest in football. But it's more like a cash cow situation. They're not really looking to sit there and just keep spending all the funds unless, you know, they are like the ownership of PSG or the, you know, the the ownership at Manchester City. So I feel like it's that's quite a loss on that in the sense that I don't know how many next groups are going to come in. They'll buy the, they'll, they'll definitely be interested in the club. Um, there's already apparently a talk coming from Italy that the, the ownership of Roma want to sell up and buy into Newcastle. I don't know if that's true or not, but I wonder how many will really come in and, and invest the kind of money that the fans were really hoping were going to come in. Over the other the
3: thing, the, the other thing that struck me was that you know this this the Saudi takeover had been there for a while. I mean they'd been interested for a while pre-COVID, um, and they were going through with it. While we're so uncertain about things, why would someone just come out from nowhere? I mean you, you'd be buying a club where you don't know when your fans are going to let back be let back in. How would you do the figures accurately? It's not really about
0: the football, right? I think that.
3: But uh, you you don't know how much money you can make out of a club at the moment. I mean, I think this is the problem with the worst. Unless Ashley's going to drop his price, it strikes me as the worst time to buy a football club ever.
0: I think, as in you know, in matters that sort of involve Gulf nations, it's always a mix of what their real interest is in buying a club, and that's why I tell you that I think certain ownerships will be happy to continue spending because it's not really just about the football. It's like a mix of, you know, how this helps them on, a, on an economic, on a diplomatic, a political, industrial, all these types of scales. Um, and I think that's why they look into football because it's sort of like, you know, makes your brand better if you like. That's why you go for ownerships that are from some, some certain Gulf states. So I think that's why they didn't really care about anything. They just wanted to buy regardless of what was going on around the world.
2: What about Manchester United? Some interesting rumours doing the rounds for them. Seems like they're going to be patient in their approach for Jaden Sancho, but all being well, that one looks quite promising. And Raul Jiménez is one being linked um, slightly less authoritatively, but uh, an interesting name nonetheless. Do, do both of those players fit in with what Solskjaer's trying to do there, JJ?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, they, they just need to improve his uh, players who are better than what they've already got. Um, you'd want players who can challenge for first-team place. Sancho would certainly do that. I I think Mason Greenwood is next level and will be one of the best players that United have for the next few years. Sancho plays the same position as him, but then I wonder whether Greenwood might actually end up being the central striker uh, in the future. Like he, Often it's the case with younger players that they start them wide early in their career so that there's not so much pressure on them to deliver everything from the central point. Um, but Greenwood can definitely do that, and he was—you know—he's a striker at youth level as well. Sancho will give them something—a uh, really exciting player to watch. It's—it's it's interesting all the, the bits and pieces that have happened with him at Dortmund and the various critiques of his character and attitudes that has been there. But obviously, a really talented player, and uh, Solskjaer would need to make sure that he gets everything out of him. Jimenez is a a lovely striker, and exactly the kind of player that I think United would suit right now. Really good link-up play, which is what the central striker needs to do, because Martial tends to be the one that, like, he likes to play off the shoulder of the last man when he's number nine. And I think Jimenez is better at, at um, maybe holding the ball and, and linking it, then arriving. Whereas Martial's better if you're looking to try and hit on the counter and, and things like that. So it would definitely give them options as well. We're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another Telegraph show. We think you might like. It's called Planet Normal, and it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan,
0: and me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learned what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am
3: one, Okay, Shut up.
2: Let's talk about the championship playoff final which takes place on Tuesday evening. It's Brentford and Fulham in West London's fourth best derby. Uh who do we think is going to win this football match?
3: I'm really really looking forward to this. I watched the um the semi-final between Fulham and Cardiff the other night when Cardiff almost came back and really enjoyed it. Fulham had a proper wobble, so if you were going off that you'd fancy Brentford, but I Fulham have got some know-how, haven't they? I mean, they've got a lot of players who were in that uh, playoff final victory against Villa. Um, they've got a lot of players who, who played in the Premier League for them and come down with them still. So I think they've got that bit of know-how that might might get them over the line, actually. Brentford are the, the sort of more gung-ho. Brentford are like Fulham were almost two years ago, just very gung-ho, very exciting, very attacking. Um, I fancy Fulham. I don't I don't know why but I fancy Fulham through, through just through the know-how, probably. But I think it'll be really interesting. Um, I, I think whichever one goes up is going to go straight back down.
2: <laughs> Every chance. Uh, which team would you prefer to have in the Premier League? I know what you're going to say, Mina. I know, I know you're basically a Fulham fan.
0: Yeah, basically, just because it'll be nice to have Craven Cottage as part of the Premier League again.
2: <laughs> yeah, but there's a lovely new stadium going up at Brentford
3: that can't be that far that's from not
0: close to me though is it
2: <laughs> i mean it must be it must be fairly close if fulham's close
0: yeah i guess so but fulham's just closer so i'm and i'm somebody who hates walking right so.
2: right okay okay how about you jojo who do you want in the top flight
0: uh i would quite like to see brentford in there
1: i like the way that they've uh they scouting recruitment is really interesting and how they find players that are definitely capable of playing at a higher level I think they're one of these teams that have taken a very money ball style approach to things over the last few seasons, and well, hence their kind of rise to where they are just now. They've got some uh, great individual players. That, uh, and well, I went to see them play against QPR with you, Tom, didn't I? They had a like Ben Ruhama is a good player. Ollie Watkins seems like a really good player, but I'd imagine both of those will leave if they don't go up. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see Brentford because it's, it's good to have a team like that who will utilise all this kind of modern data and they'll sign some good players and we might see something special with it. I could see them even doing like a Wolves. They won't have the same access to players that they did, but I could see them finishing OK next season if they were to get up.
0: When was this group outing to watch QPL?
1: I wasn't in it. I wasn't in it. I'm supposed to be that. your
0: bestie. I'll tell you yeah. what,
2: when, when the football is back, when we can all go back, we'll have a lovely AFCT trip to Loftus Road and the subpar pies are on me. On Friday evening, we have a return to European football with the Champions League. How are you feeling about this? Are you, are you looking forward to this um, extremely unusual Champions League festival, or have you, like me, slightly lost faith in football as a thing that's going kind to of particularly so entertain you at the it. moment?
1: There's so much football. I think it'll be exciting, though. It's like when you play a Pro Evo or something with your mates, and you get to do Real Madrid versus Man City and all those sorts of bits and pieces. It doesn't really feel like the Champions League because it's, to know it's all a bit strange.
3: I think the mini tournament will be good. I think that will be fun. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not so fast. It's just, I mean, one. and if you the lose, 16 and if your team loses, are, yeah, you're gone. Um, I think that the, I, I really am actually quite looking forward to watching the mini tournament. I think that will be good fun. The last sixteen, I, I couldn't be, could care less about, to be honest with
0: you. Um, <gasps> don't you want to see well, Real Madrid or Manchester City? But.
3: Yes, I suppose I am interested to see if it's Real Madrid or Manchester City. I've I've got a work perspective on whereby I have to preview the Bayern Munich versus Chelsea second layer oh coming no. up. Yeah,
0: that and one I can see why you yeah, don't give
3: it. Yeah, it's it's not really uh, done much for my enthusiasm for the last sixteen. But I I think the mini tournament will be great fun. I think it's bonkers in a way but with you know the restart of I know talk, the tour the, the European clubs. The, who get to the mini tournament are going to get a delayed start to next season. But I do think it's mad that if Chelsea get knocked out on um, on the eighth of August, that they still have to restart on the twelfth of September. I mean, that that's it's less than five weeks. Um, yeah, but they
0: play one game, right? Yeah, like but but
3: they haven't because their season they they had to prepare for the FA Cup final. So it's not like they've had a little break and then play one game. Their season's just carried on and on. It's okay. Um, they have
0: like four hundred forwards. And they'll find a way.
3: I, I think it's. A I bit know, mad. And I, it'll be interesting to see how long the the clubs who get into the mini tournament get off. Um, but I think so. I think that's mad too. But it'd be fun. It'd be fun. It'd be like a pre-season tournament in a way, wouldn't it?
0: Oh, the ISCC. <laughs> no, I do think it's going to throw up an interesting new winner. I don't necessarily think it's going to be one of you know like I don't necessarily basically think the best team is going to win it, which is why I think it could be a lot of fun because it's going to be one of those like mad you know like anything can happen in ninety minute type of. Game. So I think the Europa
3: probably yeah. really interesting as well. I think Man United are going to win the Europa League. I think that would be interesting. Do you? Yeah,
2: they're your hmm. they're your favourites, are they not?
3: Yeah, having taken no notice of who else is left in it. That's warns. what I was
0: thinking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> who else is in it?
3: Inter Milan.
0: Well, Inter I mean, Milan.
3: You might not have Conti as manager by then. By the sounds of it, I don't know. I think yeah. I think both of them would be good.
0: friends Sevilla, I like it. who are very yeah. good at this competition, Shakhtar Donetsk.
3: There you go. Roma all of those Wolves Wolves Man United
2: that's what we want to see
0: I mean I'd just like to see you know I don't know no one complaining about the Club Rouge Ball that would be something
2: uh. (laughs) let's have a little bit of music and a song for Europe Mina, Serie A, the only major European league still going, finished this weekend. Um, aside from your Juve, who were the biggest winners and the biggest losers this season?
0: It's interesting. Obviously, like um, we thought this was going to be a different championship until Corona started because at the time Lazio were doing such a terrific job and there was a very real chance that they were going to topple Juve. Obviously, what you see after Corona was, you know, the teams that had the better depths, um, you know, the bigger teams basically, Inter and Juve being the ones that eventually did a lot better um, and the ones that managed to sort of, you know, win the matches that they needed to while Lazio could basically barely recuperate. I think when you look at this, you can see the foundations have been laid at Roma. I think Fonseca is a terrific coach and with a little interesting uh, spending and, and just, you know, in key areas, I think they could be a real force next season. Um, Atalanta is Atalanta. I think they've established themselves as an amazing side going forward um, and also showed a lot of maturity at the back. Napoli under Gattuso are a much more interesting um, team to watch now because you just feel like they're good on the ball, they're good off the ball they've sort of tired towards the end of it but that makes a lot of sense I'm so dying to see what they're going to do against Barcelona because I mean there's two sides to them and I want to know who shows up because if the good version of them shows up this could be a really thrilling game um, so I think when you look forward when you're looking at this team and you're looking how much Juve has sort of really not that great under Sadi, it will make for a lot more excitement going forward And of course, there's always Inter under Antonio Conte, which is dramatic, even if they don't even kick a ball.
2: Yeah, well, some uh, discussions around this morning that Conte uh, may be on the way out there, despite only finishing a (laughs) uh, a point off Juve on top of the table.
0: Yeah, we need to put that into context. Basically, they did—they they basically lost every big game um, this season, I think, except for Napoli. They haven't really done it in, against the big teams. And that was always the criticism aimed at Antonio Conte. And obviously, what he did in the Champions League was considered an embarrassment considering Italian teams did so well. And his side that had such an investment, 180 million plus, couldn't really you know, put it together in the group stage. Um, anyway... So there's been criticism aimed at him but there's also been a lot of compliments aimed at him and him being his usual self, he's annoyed that he's not getting every single demand satisfied and he's come out and said, you know, when I've been criticised, no one has protected me from this club, no one has turned around to to really tell us that the work that we're doing is extraordinary. Firstly, it's good work, it's not extraordinary. Your team is so much bigger and better than most of what Zedia has. You've spent so much money on this and 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 considering what Spalletti had and the problems that he had last year in the sense that Icardi won off the boil, there was arguments all over the dressing room, Nangolan was injured, he basically didn't have a team and he finished 13 points worse off. It's not a huge step forward, I'll be honest, you know. And most of your points were collected in these last few games when everyone is dead and buried and Juve don't care anymore and so do a lot of sides. So... I just feel like basically what he wants is if he says a name, like I want Romelu Lukaku, he doesn't want to fight for it. He just wants them to bring him Romelu Lukaku. And, and, you know, that was done. And he said that he had to go through hell to get it, basically. And now it'll be interesting to see because he said this rant is not about transfer market. But, you know, it is because that's what it ended up being when it came to Juventus. And Capella warned him at the time when he left Juve that you're not going to find and you're not going to find it at Chelsea. You're not going to find a club that that just supports you from beginning to end or offers you what you've understood at the time because you were their captain more than you were just their coach. You were a former player. And he was like, no, nope, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find love everywhere else. I'm going to see, you're going to see how much people respect me. And you know what? He's never gone to a club that's going to offer him everything because I don't know what he thinks he's doing. He's not doing Pep Guardiola-style football. He's not winning the big matches. So things take time. And you've got Marotta and you've got a good ownership and you've got a team that's willing to spend money on the, on the targets that you want, some of which are just ridiculous. And so, you know, just stick with it. Maybe stop talking. If he just stopped talking, I really feel like Inter could be such a force. But he keeps doing this and then he keeps ruining it for himself.
2: Yep, he's a man keen on falling out with other people, isn't he? Let's finish off by asking this question which we put to our friends on social media. Pierre-Emerick Abameyang dropped the FA Cup before lifting it on Saturday. We asked, what's the clumsiest thing you've ever seen from a professional footballer? Neil and many others got this question right, I think, by saying Tony Adams dropping Steve Morrow after winning the League Cup. That was uh, extremely funny for everyone except Steve Morrow uh, Jamie says uh, Ivanovic dropped the Russian Cup which is made out of glass which isn't ideal uh, and Matt not Matt Law says uh, I saw Roy Hodgson sign Paul Konchesky. what do you think JJ
1: uh, I think the obvious one for me was when Sergio Ramos dropped the trophy off the top of the bus for Real Madrid that the Champions yeah League trophy? that's my one that was funny yeah. And it doesn't, I don't think this really counts, but like it just reminded me of, of like silly things that happen to footballers, maybe not being careful. And I don't know if anyone remembers a story from 10 years ago where the, the then Rangers defender Kirk Broadfoot suffered burns after an egg exploded in his face. The, <laughs> oh, no. the newspaper headline, is the, the story of it is really funny. And they all use the same copy. But it talks about how Kirk Broadfoot suffered burns. The managers confirmed it today. It says, the Scotland defender was, in, was inspecting two eggs he had just poached in his microwave and one of them blew up. Why is he inspecting <laughs> eggs? I don't understand what the inspecting bit is. Uh, bad injury, though.
2: Yeah. You don't, you don't expect that. You can't Put see that egg coming. on his face. Um, go on, give us a bit more on Ramos. Uh, Mina, talk us through that incident.
0: Oh, no. Um, well, it was just at the time they'd won the Copa del Rey over Barcelona and they won their way to... Um, the Belles, which is where they party with all their fans. And basically, he <laughs> dropped it in front of the moving bus and went, oh, the cup has fallen. And at the time, they were like, you know, Mundo, El Mundo came in and said, oh, my God, the cup was in 10 different pieces, whereas others were like, no, it's all right. you know. But I think that was quite funny because all you could see was the entire team that was supposed to be celebrating were peering over the edge of the bus to see their, their cup being trodden over by the tires of the bus. <laughs> I loved it.
2: What do you reckon, Matt?
3: I thought I'd been really clever by lining up the Ivanovich question. I didn't think oh, any, the Ivanovich no. answer. Mm. I watched that on stow- social media last week. Jamie stole and
1: your... Uh, it's stole killed
3: your me. It's absolutely killed me, yeah. Um, I don't I know now.
1: He dropped a remote control on his foot. Who was that? That was a good one. Someone dropped down, A few like, fallen on their downstairs foot. as well. But, you know, it's killed me. I had the
3: Ivanovich. So <laughs> whoever that is... He's banned as from as well. listening to this podcast in future. <laughs> who, who is it? Who is Jamie. it? Jamie. <laughs> Jamie, you're banned.
2: That's all from us for a while. Thank you very much to everyone that's appeared on this podcast, this extended season, and indeed for the past three years in its various guises, Mina, JJ, and Matt especially, but not forgetting the supporting cast, Sam Dean, Jim White, Jason Burt, Luke Edwards, James Ducker, Sam Wallace, Chris Bascom, Jamie Carragher. The list goes on for some time. You can read their world-beating football coverage at telegraph.co.uk forward slash sport, and you don't even need to be a subscriber to the full Telegraph package to read them. It's just £2 a week for a sport only subscription extra large thanks to our two producers Joel Grove and his predecessor Abby Patterson both absolute heroes whose hard work has powered Audio Football Club thanks too to Theodora Leloudis the Telegraph's superb podcast editor and her predecessor Pete Norton for all their brilliance you can as ever contact me on Twitter at Tom with Gibbs thanks again to Joel for this episode and of course thanks to you most of all via company I'll talk
1: to you again soon